Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grund. Kirk and Anthony are here. You know, guys, uh, we we sort of have a bit of a of an issue on our hands. Uh, if you haven't noticed, it's been a little while since our last uh, podcast, hasn't it been, Kirk? It has. The last podcast we did was the Oppenheimer and Barbie week, so it's been a little while. <laughs> It's been so long that you forgot that it had a whole name attached to it. And it was like a big movement. It was about <laughs> eight years ago at this point. So, yes. yeah, we, we we kind of need new releases of films, generally films. We talk about TV shows, and um, I don't think either of us are watching Ahsoka right now. So we're a little lacking in terms of new stuff to talk about. And that is obviously because the strikes both for writers and actors, are still going on because these big studios are just, they're, they're flabbergasted that uh, they won't not get paid properly, you know? Mm. So that is, uh, ultimately, it's like sort of a trickle-down system. These people can't get wages, and now we can't fill time on a podcast talking about how their, how their movies and TV shows are. So really, it, it's, it really affects us in a way that I don't think that they thought about. And I'm talking about the studios. You know, the writers <laughs> okay. and actors, you know, they're just trying to get paid. But, like, the studios aren't just hurting them. They're hurting us, too. So, you know, if you're out there trying to blame the, the people trying to get paid, blame the studios. They're also denying you of this, you know, quality of talking about films that we won't remember. So it's just, it's a bit rough. And so we've had to resort to uh, some different methods and <laughs> tactics for this episode, ladies and gents. Yeah, if you had told me at the beginning of the summer that uh, we'd be in September and this would still be going on, I wouldn't have believed that because I don't, I can't remember now. We talked about it so long ago again, but I can't remember <laughs> how long the 2007 one went for. So, um, yeah. yeah, this feels very strange that we're still in this and uh, uh, there's no end in sight because studios are just okay with losing hundreds of millions of dollars yeah i i guess if so they could just pay these people like instead <laughs> of just losing the money and you know, going nowhere right i mean it seems like a total no-brainer that's an idea yeah no they don't want to do that apparently so they're stuck with sitting around yeah you would think after the last major strike and seeing everything that's going on and the, the way the tides are turning they would want to nip this in the bud but i guess i guess not they want to play the long game and be incredibly stupid just showing you how out of touch these big corporate fat cats are now more than ever. So uh, that's great. So anyways, yeah, as I said, we've had to resort on picking on different people now, which is uh, (laughs) sort of how it is. And, you know, I say that. We're going to be talking about some different stuff. We're going to be talking about stuff that is not made by professionals. We're going to talk about stuff that's made by fans. Because, obviously, fan creations, fan fiction itself has been a part of the sort of nerd culture for a very long time now. You know, I think if you want to talk about what modern, like, fan fiction that goes back to, like, Star Trek, right? Like, the original mm-hmm. series, sort of gay Kirk and Spock fan fiction. Uh, it, it goes all the way to that. So, you know, fans have been raking their own stuff and doing their own thing for a while now. And recently, there's been a, uh, a sort of double feature of big profile fan films that have come out about, you know, the things that we talk about, which is superheroes. Mm-hmm. One of them is a bit bigger than the other. One of them is a feature length movie that had a, 
you know, a local premiere in LA and all sorts of stuff. So we're, we're going to be talking about some of the recent fan films and we're going to go back in time. Uh, Cause if you don't recall, you know, we have someone on the pod that used to be a fan editor. And so we're going to mm. be talking about some of those old fan trailers Maybe why we don't see them as much anymore. What where the where the sort of spark comes from? Talk about some iconic fan films and fan projects, and uh, we'll go from there. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. So let's just let, let's talk about some of the newer stuff first, and then we'll kind of get into you know the stuff that makes us feel good. Let's get some of this bad shit out of the way first, because God, this is um, uh, we we had a Superman film come out called superman solar i don't know the meaning behind the name other than it it's just a title that hasn't been used and superman gets his power from the sun so it's that but it is a um uh an attempt at doing a sort of smaller down-to-earth country boy clark kent story i think um I don't know. Like, what, 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 what would you? What was your takeaway from this film? Because for for me, it was just a, a boring film about nothing. But yes. I guess that goes without saying. Superman Solar. Yeah, it's. I think its intentions are kind of decent in terms of trying to tell, like you said, country Clark Kent, is Superman kind of story. It tries to take to me what worked about, some of the aspects of Man of Steel. Um, some of the aspects I found more interesting about him living a regular life and the responsibility of being Superman um, and kind of tried to make a short little movie about that and sometimes if the writing is good then production value and, and acting can you can kind of forgive if that's not up to par because it sure. is, like you yeah. said, it's not professionals making this stuff but the writing isn't very good and the production value isn't very good. So, like, again, I understand, I think, what they were kind of going for. And I think from a concept perspective that th- th- there's a sweet idea there about that. Like, I would like to, you know, episodes of Smallville or the, the Superman animated show or certain issues of comics about that type of thing can be a nice change of pace from the big and loud you know aspects of superman like i really like superman returns and i think a lot of people don't because it's kind of boring and not a lot of action goes on in it but i like the character stuff but this doesn't really have enough good character stuff and it's not also trying to do anything that new so it's just kind of bland and dull and poorly made no and i think that's really what it boils down to is you're right it it does try to go for that like oh we're going to tackle something important with superman we're going to show his humanity you know we we, we're not expecting no fan should be really expecting superman versus the atomic skull right like that's just not (laughs) going to exist in the world of fan films that being said this movie did attempt at some showing some sort of action-packed standoff with brainiac um Mm -hmm. so that is there um but yeah, in, in in this way where it was like they tried to have their cake and eat it too, where they have a guy in a costume that is you know more than your average spandex outfit. You, you, that that's that's true. And they go for this sort of Superman helping somebody, you know, stopping them from you know taking their own life. Like they're going for that sort of emotional beat stuff that we've seen in Superman comics before, like All Star Superman and uh, Superman Grounded, and, mm-hmm. and and it goes for that that stuff. But yeah, it's a uh, 
it it has no proper artistic vision. It's just sort of like, hey, these elements will work. The actors are all very wooden. And it sounds like I'm being mean on a fan project, but this is something that they put out. And I guess the, the, the sort of the biggest thing is this is often being referred to as a racist Superman. <laughs> and you might be wondering, well, what does that mean? Because there's nothing in the film particularly, but it's sort of a read between the lines kind of thing. There is a little bit of a message of the Superman not wanting to be used in a sort of political agenda you know, it's uh, this idea that maybe politics and taking a stance don't belong in comics. He's just a he's just a, a homegrown boy just trying to do the right thing. He's not trying to be involved in your your sort of politics and whatnot. And it's like, well, that kind of goes against Superman in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the original sort of action comics where he beat up uh, sort of white collar criminals and stopped domestic abuse or more modern interpretations like from the the sort of new 52 action comics sort of uh depictions or or other ones where it's like you have a version of superman that is trying to to take a stand you know he's not there to just be this soulless kind of like i only stop natural disasters and that's it he's a person and he feels the need to stand up for those who 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 can't and uh this movie got a little bit of a clowning on for, for being a little bit of a, well, you know, here we do things a little bit differently than you do in the big city. You know, that yeah. take on, on Superman, which is uh, yeah, not needed right now. And it really does feel like we're, we're, we're getting more and more in this era of, like, let's step away from, I guess, the darkness and the edginess of, say, uh, of a, a, a Snyder Superman you know, I've, I've noticed that is that any kind of version of Superman now post BVS and all that really is like, oh, thank God this isn't that version of Superman to the point where, you know, we're going to keep getting the Superman and it's going to be like, well, we haven't gotten that other Superman in forever. You know, with, with versions like Superman and Lois, which is a great depiction of a down to earth, you know, Clark with feelings and emotions and the new uh, cartoon, My Adventures with Superman you know, another depiction that's very light, very, uh, you know, fun, it's different. And our, you know, soon-to-be new live-action movie take on Superman, it's it's sort of this, uh, we're not in a saturation of dark, scary, <laughs> brooding Superman anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we have multiple iterations of the Man of Steel that are a bit more livelier, that are a bit more closer to the sort of Chris Reeve interpretation and or what people imagine in their head as the Chris Reeve interpretation, certainly. Sure. And uh, this feels like, and we'll get into Spider-Man as well soon, but this kind of has that baked into it, this idea of more of a of a classic Superman, but it doesn't, yeah, it just sort of takes those elements. It doesn't really say anything with any of those, those things. It, it just sort of represents them in a way where it's like, oh, this is Clark. He fights for people. He's he's a nice guy, you know. It's 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 just that, but it doesn't have any kind of impactful message in regards to Superman and his mythos and his character or anything like that. And that's kind of the directions you kind of have to go with. It's like you either do something that you can't do, which is some sort of big bombastic action story, or you tell a personal story. Mm-hmm. And this didn't really do either at all. Yeah. So again, we're not just clowning on this because like, you know, from our high tower, 
uh, you know, our little podcast, you know, but like, I, it's, it was something that was like fan funded and things like that. And then when you make something that doesn't look that good and doesn't have writing that's very good, then you kind of just go, oh God, put your money into something else. Like, don't, I don't know. There's something about that that's very kind of, it's a little gross when you know (laughs) you get people to to invest their money into something and you don't actually know what you're doing to for lack of a better term like if you're not a good enough a filmmaker to know that someone should not be lit from the back and their entire face is basically in darkness for a scene where that's not intended for the character to be in silhouette (laughs) i mean you shouldn't be asking for people's money to let you make a movie so that kind of yeah, angers me exactly. more than like the intent of like what they were doing with Superman because the filmmaking is so terrible. Yeah, especially if if you make a, a smaller story that isn't trying to yeah adapt an IP and provide something that fans want and do all these things, yet hone your skills as a filmmaker first. Yeah, then step into those shoes. I I think that's where it really comes down to is mm-hmm. these people that are are just into comic books or whatever and they, they feel like they want to tell this this specific kind of story it's like ah, maybe you, you kind of have to branch out and do other things work on other people's projects do whatever you can and then then do your dream project yeah um i i think that's really evident with uh the other fan film that we that we watched which i think we have a, a bit more to say on because it is a much sure. much bigger film than superman solar <laughs> Should we jump into Spider-Man? Well, what the hell was it even called again? Spider-Man. Uh, let us say the word is what I think. Oh, I think is what the title was called. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man Lotus. The hit Lotus. Man How could film. I forget a title like that? Superman Lotus. Superman Lotus. Yeah, that's what it was called. Superman Lotus. Uh, that was the Spider-Man film. <laughs> yes. Um, you know. Yeah. I don't know what that that, that title means either, um, but yeah, this is the Superman film, but on a much bigger scale. This is a feature-length film. It also was an attempt to kind of take the character in a more personable way. Um, I think a lot of the inspiration for this was stuff like Smallville and uh, the Raimi Spider-Man films, obviously, mm-hmm. and there's a whole backstory to all that, but... Yeah, this was this was a full ass movie with a, a full cast and and all these things, and it's it's uh, it's it's a two hour runtime, but most of that is credits. It's really closer to an hour and a half, but still, it is it is a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, when we watched it and uh, we were like, oh my god, there's still like forty five minutes left, and we were getting <laughs> at to the end, and then we realized, oh, it's all credits. This movie has. Because it is a movie, basically. It is feature-length, or at yep. least it, it claims to be. But it has opening titles, so credits at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. and then a title sequence at the end. Now, if that doesn't sound strange to you, try and think of the last time you saw a movie that had opening credits and then also had a closing credit sequence. That's not a thing. <laughs> so, again... No. I think my main frustration with this stuff is if, you know, if the intentions are good with the story, but the filmmaking isn't great, I can forgive one or the other. But when the filmmaking is so bad that you get absolute basics wrong, that you just need to Google to find out 
you know, if you do these certain things, what the order of credits should be, that's another thing, <laughs> then, yeah, that kind of just makes me mad because you've set out to make a feature film and you don't know the absolute basics. Yeah, and that, I guess, is is the real crux of, of something like this, is that this is bigger, Spider-Man Lotus is, is bigger than your average kind of just, oh, a bunch of friends came together over the course of, like, a week or two and put together a superhero film. Like, no, this was crowdfunded this was a huge project that was you know forever in the making mm-hmm. and it's trying to be this version of spider-man that is like what the fans want and and all those things like you mentioned the the opening credit sequence which is which is a clear sort of homage to the sort of Raimi spider-man era it's it's meant to be this big film but it is filled with things where it's like well this is just basic one-on-one stuff that you shouldn't do you know like you said the the out of order credit sequence the the lingering establishing shots that don't establish locations they just establish the idea of new york and it's like yeah. okay that yeah. doesn't help that's this whole movie is is little little things where it's not just oh it's a bad spider-man movie or oh it's a bad whatever like no, it it literally is all these little things where it's like you're making a bad movie. It doesn't matter what this is. This is just bad student film 101 in yes. a way. It's what you're saying about the establishing shots, like as we were watching this, I was like loudly uh, talking about how much I hated this. You know, using a real studio Spider-Man film as an example, if Spider-Man or, or Peter Parker runs home to Aunt May's house... The establishing shot will be, you guessed it, Aunt May's house. It will not be a <laughs> shot of Manhattan. So, yeah, like th- that's what this would do. It would just like show just the city of New York, and then Peter will walk into his house, and it's like, what? Are you- <laughs> like, what was that? It, like, it's just filler. You're just filling the movie with probably drone shots that they purchased of New York. So, yeah, that stuff like that is really annoying because. If you don't have enough meat to make a feature film that you have to pad the runtime with credits and with establishing shots of New York, make a short film. It doesn't have to be feature length. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's literally the thing that, like, people parody, right? When, like, mm-hmm. writing a movie script, like, exterior, coffee shop, day, you know? Like, yes. it's it's literally the things that, that you can, you know of if you're making fun of something. So, this is just sort of a pile-on of all those wrong things and we aren't the first people to talk about this movie this movie's been out for a little bit so people have sort of discussed it but this is obviously a movie that is sort of born from spite mm-hmm. you know this is a a movie that is made for spider-man fans that don't like the current sort of way of spider-man if you don't like spider-man far from home or whatever like and you long for the days of the Raimi films and spider-man 2 and specifically spider-man 2 Mm-hmm. This is the kind of film that these people are making it for for you. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is that because of that, you get this almost just dreary, boring, sad sack of a Spider-Man story. <laughs> really, <laughs> like that's all it is. Yeah, you know, like they're trying to capture the sort of the the mellow sort of drama of Peter Parker trying to balance his life and do all these things. And we often joked about because so much of this movie is Peter. Uh, in in a very similar sense to Spider-Man Blue, one of our favorite Spider-Man stories. Absolutely. Um, it's it's uh, Peter sort of recalling the events uh, before Gwen Stacy's death, 
and him being really depressed about it. And there's so much of them trying to make this guy sound miserable and sad and longing for the days of, of you know, these better times. It just makes Peter Parker look like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. There are many instances where we see this, you know, our, our group of characters, Peter, Gwen, MJ, and Harry. And Peter is never smiling. He's often leering at his friends, at his girlfriend, at... At, at these people that he should be having a good time with. And we're always getting this very sad, just very uh, dark commentary. You know, he's giving this this sort of narration over it that makes it look like he's going to skin these people alive, um, <laughs> which is not a good look for Peter Parker. In an attempt to really provide this sort of uh, edgy sort of teen thing, which, you know, once again, pulling into the Smallville aspect, this idea of, well, you don't need the big glitz and glamour of a superhero story. You can tell the story of a of a young man becoming that hero, or the more character driven stuff behind all the big beat 'em ups and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they go really heavy on that, and uh, it's not charming. It's not appealing. Uh, and when they try to do the appealing stuff, it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't work. We get a we get a fight scene between Spider Man and the Shocker. It's one of our oh, very yeah. brief moments in an attempt to show Spider Man in his prime, you know, doing his thing. And it, it's uh, as I get older, and people kind of kind of have their opinions on things, whether it's the Garfield version or Holland or whatever. We obviously grew up in the sort of the Raimi era, Tobey Maguire era, and you know he cracks jokes here and there, but mm-hmm. he's often in, in situations where He's not going to be joking because the the situation's too dire or whatever. And if you're not good at being funny, it's just annoying. Yeah. And so you have a Spider-Man. You had this sort of interaction of them trying to make him quippy. And he's like making fun of the shocker or whatever to kind of do his Spider-Man thing. But it's not funny. It's not enjoyable. So it's just annoying. You're just mm-hmm. sitting there being annoyed at this this Spider-Man interaction. And it makes you realize of like, oh, that's why they don't do the quippiness in like movies and why it lends itself more so to animation. Mm-hmm. When you have these voice actors that these voice actors can do anything with just their voice and they can portray all these things and animation you can you can go a bit more kooky and silly and, and have it not be weird. It makes more sense there. As soon as you bring that into live action, you're like, oh my God shut up <laughs> this yes. is so annoying there's a huge difference between christopher daniel barnes and and what this guy's doing and and it's all baked into this idea that like oh well, what we're doing is better than the mcu like we're we're sick and tired of the mcu spider-man we're gonna do spider-man right and so you're gonna be scrutinized even a bit more than your average thing because you're outright saying that like this is for the real diehard spider-man fans and they've created something that is just so not Spider-Man in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have talked in the past about our thoughts on the MCU Spider-Man and, and what we have liked and what we haven't liked. And uh, one of the things that we really don't like is the, what they've done with the suit, how they basically Tom Holland wears a suit on set and then they smooth it over in post um, with a CGI suit, basically. So there's no wrinkles and it just ends up looking fake. And it's looked like that since Civil War, which is like they changed the suit in production. So it's you can kind of forgive it there. But 
that's an annoying thing that they do. So one of the early things from the production of this Spider-Man Lotus, um, by the way, Lotus is a flower, so I guess that's what it is referring to, but it's still kind of weird. Spider-Man flower. Uh, yeah, there was like a shot of the actor in the suit and everyone, you know, the lighting is really good and everything and everyone's talking about how great this looks and why can't we get this in a real movie? And I so don't care about the quality of a costume in a fan film anymore because we see great <laughs> cosplay all the time on Instagram yeah. and TikTok and wherever. So that is not impressive to me anymore. Making a really great looking Spider-Man costume is not impressive to me. And then when you see it on, well, in the film, not on film physically, but like when you see it in the film, um, it stops looking that good because it's not like a photo under certain lighting where everything looks great for that one photo. So I thought that was kind of funny. Like the one thing it had going for it was its costume. And I didn't even think that looked that good in the movie. No, yeah, costumes have always been a sort of a difficult thing. I, I remember, like, as the farther we got into, like, the CW, DC shows, mm-hmm. people would criticize their costumes and say they look like cosplayers. And I always took that as, like, no, I just think cosplayers are really good at making outfits now. Yeah. You know, like, when they showed off uh, Batwoman, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just, it just looked like a lady in a Batwoman costume. And so people were like, why does it look so cheap? And it's like, it's because they just made her look like Batwoman and you can go to any convention and see that yeah. exact thing. Like, it's not special anymore. Yeah. Versus, you know, we're going to keep going back to it. But to be fair, that's the kind of the point of this stupid movie. You know, like the Raimi Spider-Man suit feels like a big Hollywood version of Spider-Man's costume mm-hmm. with the raised webbing and the lenses. It just... It feels like what you're you would imagine as an expensive suit, and you could say the same thing for like the Amazing Spider-Man two suit. You know, we we talked about the the MCU suits and how they've kind of made that weird with their their CGI paint. But like you you want a high budget feel while still looking like a superhero outfit, and so yeah, they made a very nice looking costume. But you're right, like it's it's kind of um it, it, they didn't take into consideration every aspect of how they would shoot it you know like you have to be really careful for this kind of stuff um mm-hmm. i think back to like like uh the 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 joss whedon justice league where like mm-hmm. that movie is so ugly and yes. they took a lot of those like snyder designs for those characters and when you put them under the most ugly saturated you know ghostbusters 2016 lighting mm-hmm. like if you didn't like the designs before you're sure as hell gonna not like them now because those suits aren't designed for that kind of lighting like those are very meticulously made for certain kinds of looks and feels and and all those things that's why people didn't like like the superman suit itself because it's so shiny and mm-hmm. it looks like a muscle suit and it's like well in a different sort of way like if this would have been done with the original intentions and all that it wouldn't look like that, but because of the the way you're doing it, and so it, it, that's just piling on this idea of like not understanding different ways to shoot things. And this whole movie, this Spider-Man movie, I'm assuming because they wanted to go for a more serious, darker route, it is almost like the entire thing is like tinted. Like yeah. a lot of scenes feel like you just have sunglasses on for no discernible reason other than to give it like a cinematic, darker feel i assume i assume that's it because they really want you to take this this story seriously because on the other flip side because obviously they're adapting sort of the death of gwen stacy you know that kind of thing um they're also 
adapting the storyline of the the kid who collects Spider-Man, which you know was a, a famous comic book storyline, and it was adapted in the '90s Spider-Man cartoon. Yes, this idea of this kid who collects Spider-Man comics and toys, and Spider-Man meets them. Um, spoiler alert for that story, and you know the the, the cartoon episode. In those, it's a reveal. Yes, <laughs> it's a reveal. That the uh, the kid is sick, that they are uh, in some sort of terminal stage of their life. Um, the movie just outright says it. So yes, there's no it establishes it just, this it... part of the story by saying there is a sick kid. <laughs> it's like okay, that's it. <laughs> well, there goes that reveal. We just we started it with that way. Yeah, okay. it it takes away any kind of like like oh well we know now Spider Man has to go and talk to this kid otherwise he's a complete jerk. Yes. You know, like, he, he has to talk to this this poor kid. Um, and so, like, to be fair, a lot of the, the most decent stuff for the movie, if it was just a 20-minute movie of Spider-Man meeting a kid that needed him, probably would have been a better film. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's padded out with, with Harry, because they do the whole, like, you know, Green Goblin's death, and Harry being depressed. There's a whole segment where Harry walks around New York and it's like once again, it it just screams that kind of independent student film thing of mm-hmm. we're just gonna film them on location looking sad, and there's 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 no thought of pacing, <laughs> there's yeah. no thought of anything. It's just emotional and sappy, and like the whole movie's padded out with just MJ and Harry and these people being sad. And I guess the idea is like, oh, how did this one person's death affect all of these people? But instead, you just get montages of sad people, and that's that's it. It's a really, really boring movie. And again, I like the idea of just a character story where maybe you get the one action sequence. And they tried to... I thought they were doing something kind of clever at first, where you weren't going to get a full-on flashback to Spider-Man fighting the Green Goblin. You were just hearing Peter remember it and hearing, like him yelling at Goblin and yelling for Gwen, who's died and what have you. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. Well, it's it's then, the opening credits sequence. But then, they, they yeah, they also did it in the, the opening, credits. opening credits. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, you don't need to show it. You yeah. showed us there. You told us the story there. And then, yeah, but then we just get the full on scene and they don't really have the production value and budget to properly do a, a big fight. And it's it's it kind of looks okay, but like they try and hide... I think, and again, pad out the runtime, but they try and hide imperfections in their, you know, production by doing extreme close-ups of Spider-Man's eyes over and over Mm -hmm. again throughout the film. And that works if you're trying to show that Spider-Man is, you know, is trying to show intensity or something like that, but they just do it at random moments. Is he thinking? Is he happy? Is he considering something? Is he mad? Is he like, you have no idea because his face is under a goddamn mask. But they just do close-ups of his Spider-Man eyes. So annoying. <laughs> no, it just doesn't. It doesn't yeah. work. It it just that, and I guess that's the whole movie and why people are so harsh on it is, it's it's trying so hard to be this emotional take on the character. It's a bit more introspective than your average Spider-Man, and uh, it just can't figure out how to be a movie first without it trying to pay homage to all of its favorite things because it doesn't it's not like it does anything new it really apes off the idea of like look we're doing a sort of uh uh, a john romita senior 
kind of look for Peter Parker here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's got, like, a turtleneck, and his hair is the way it is, and all this stuff, and, like, we're kind of going for that sort of, that era of Spider-Man. And then we're going to be adapting some of the best storylines, you know, in, in terms of Spider-Man history, the ones people like. We're not necessarily going to do anything new. We're just going to adapt them because we know that's what fans like. They know that they like Spider-Man Blue. They like, you know, the death of Gwen Stacy. They like the kid who collects Spider-Man. Like, they like all these things. So we're just going to adapt those storylines, you know? And it really goes to show, very similar to the Superman movie, where it's like, oh, that's enough. You know, we can just do these things because it's already proven. And granted, you know, obviously the, the the movies themselves, the big live-action films, they, they've adapted elements and pieces, but... You know, there's a bit more of a transformative element. It's more of uh, how do we make this work? And it, it's there's a lot more moving pieces and a lot more ways of rather than just straight up taking the most popular storylines and mashing them together because they know that's what Spider-Man fans want. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they, like we could have told a whole different kind of story about Spider-Man where, you know, we could have, uh, as, you know, just recently. I was thinking about because I, I love I've been watching Batman the Brave and the Bold, uh, mm-hmm. just because it's it's a it's a, a Batman cartoon. I'm in a Batman mood, and so well, I watched the episode Chill of the Night, which is a story about the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre, the Spirit of Vengeance, basically having a little bit of a bet on whether or not Batman, if if we tell him who killed his parents, if he'll like kill him or not. Mm. <laughs> like that's the whole crux of the story. Yeah. Is the the sort of cosmic scale of justice and vengeance. And, you know, there's a whole segment where Bruce like travels back in time and like gets to be with his parents like while they're alive and you know, we he has this whole moment where he, he comes face to face with the man that, that killed his parents and it's like supposed to be this emotional tale and, and a story about Batman you know it's not just oh Batman's got to fight the penguin or you know do this crazy stuff it's a story about the concept of Batman and who Bruce Wayne is and it's like man if you had done a, almost like a Christmas Carol-esque tale about any superhero you know like Madam Web takes Peter Parker through a sort of like like I said a Christmas Carol-esque version of his life That'd be interesting because it'll let you kind of dig into like what it means to be Spider-Man. You know, what is it about Spider-Man that is that's so worth it? And, you know, you've got characters in his life that can really dig into that stuff without it being like obviously like, oh, big science fiction thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, you could do that on a smaller budget. You fucking plop an old lady in a chair and, (laughs) you know, buy some uh, smoke machines and whatnot. And then boom, (laughs) you can do it. It's a... It, you can tell smaller stories that are introspective character studies and not have to worry about special effects. But these people, it doesn't seem like that even crosses their mind. It's just like, what are the biggest character pieces in Spider-Man history? Well, these books. All right, well, let's just do those. Yeah, well, to support your point there about doing something with Madam Web taking Spider-Man you know, throughout moments of his life and, and having giving him a, a, a perspective... There, we've talked about CW and, and their simplicity and, and you know how their suits look and things like that. There's an episode in the final season of Smallville, which ironically is called Homecoming, um, about uh, <laughs> Clark going back to his high school reunion. Um, and he, like, time gets frozen and Brainiac shows up, and but it's Brainiac 5, the, the good one um, that's with uh, the Legion. 
Um, mm-hmm. No, the Legion? Is that their name? Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, he takes him and, and shows him things from his life and, and takes him into the future and things like that. And again, it's like, it's Brainiac in Smallville is just Spike from Buffy. He's just a man. <laughs> you know, it's there's <laughs> no bells and whistles. There's no green makeup. There's nothing. He's just a guy. But that's yeah. okay because in the context of that story, his he works, you know, for what the, the story that they're trying to tell. You can just yeah. have an older lady, um, you know, be Madame Webb. She doesn't have to even be in a costume or sit in a chair or anything like that. But, you know, it, giving Spider-Man perspective of like, you know, yes, uh, Gwen died, you know, on your watch or in your battle or whatever. But look at all these other great things that you've done for people. That's an interesting story and, you know, an emotional story as well, especially as Spider-Man fans. Like, that's kind of the thing that we like about the character. You know, we often joke about how you like Peter Parker when he's miserable because when he's not, then it doesn't feel like Peter Parker. Um, if he's yeah. not like a nerdy dweeb and he's, you know, Mr. Cool, then he doesn't feel like Peter Parker. But Yeah, we want him to overcome stuff. We yeah. want him. And that, that spark is in the idea of the film, this idea yeah. of Peter Parker being like... I don't want to be Spider-Man anymore. Because how many times have we seen that in cartoons mm-hmm. and comic books? Spider-Man feels like he's gotten such a bad rap. The city hates him. You know, he can't keep a relationship. He's like, Spider-Man's terrible. I don't want to be Spider-Man. And then something happens that teaches him the importance of being Spider-Man and reminds him of Uncle Ben's message and all that. And so, like, that idea is in the film, but it's only there because of the stories that they're adapting. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's well executed into the the story itself. I, I don't ever feel like Peter genuinely learns or wants to change or anything like that. Like, we get a whole segment of Peter, uh, he, he finds, like, a flash drive, and it's a classic sort of, like, home movies of them hang- hanging together. And once again, as we mentioned earlier, Peter's not smiling in any of the videos, so it just makes mm-hmm. it look like he's a miserable person, and it's like, why yeah. do they hang out with Peter? I don't know why this <laughs> yes. person the character He here. seems like a drag. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess that's another part of the film is that it really does rely on your prior knowledge of these characters like it's mm-hmm. a hope of oh well you know mary jane you'll know what you're supposed to feel about mary jane and then then that's it you know like it's like i don't know this mary jane i don't know yeah. this harry osborne i don't know his relationship with his dad i don't know his relationship with peter like it really makes you just sort of assume all these things and so yeah there's like a scene of them <laughs> having all these nice memories and it's him like you know emotionally watching it on a laptop and it's like i don't really care you know yeah. and it doesn't seem like he really cares. it's just there because it's emotional and it's sad you know the idea of someone watching old footage of better times and being sad about it that's why it's in the film. That's it. There's a scene early in the film where Peter is at Gwen's grave and MJ comes up to see if he's okay and, and Peter gets mad at her for being, you know, vapid and, and, you know, all of these things. And she, you know, you never really liked Gwen. You were jealous of her and things like that. And it comes out of nowhere because we have no idea the relationship that MJ had with Gwen or that Peter has with MJ or, like, it's it's very strange. And it's like, again prior knowledge of spider-man you could understand where that scene would fit and and things like that but in the context of the film there is no context for any of that so yeah it's (laughs) very very frustrating to watch and very dull and boring and um yeah just just a miserable experience watching that 
<laughs> yeah, the movie ends about three times, uh, just different places where you could just stop it right then and there. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bloated sort of uh, misery fest. And obviously, we haven't even talked about like the controversy, you know, the leaked DMs. You know, that, uh, that's the the whole joke is that this this actor was caught saying some certain words. Uh, he blamed it on homeschooling, I think, was mm. that he's like came from a sheltered life. He didn't know any better kind of thing. Um, and granted, you know, that has nothing to do with the movie itself. That was the no. actions of the people who made it. And we're not, can you know, trying to say anything about that. That That's that's stupid. Like, those people are dumb. <laughs> if they're going to yes. be dumb enough to say those kind of things, um, then then so be it. I know the director had said some, some things and, uh, like, had gotten praise from, like, john watts right like they had seen the trailer oh, really? and they were like hey good job and then he was like oh his movie sucks <laughs> it's like, wow like, i don't really i don't really care like that's just a dick move like yeah. i don't really care um but yeah so it doesn't help that these these sort of people that appear to be awful behind the scenes um there's there's quite a bit more that we're not even gonna get into but in terms of the movie itself it is something made out of spite and it's made to please a fan base that that feels hungry you know it's like oh these people need this kind of spider-man and i think this will sort of lead into some of our other fan stuff and Mm -hmm. maybe why the culture is changing right now but i have often thought and you as well that like the reason this stuff comes about is because we don't have it it's this idea of the major like corporations and all the big productions and all those things aren't giving me what i want so we're, we're gonna make it ourselves like that's the whole idea behind it and so to say right now, in an era of, you know, the, the PS4, now PS5, Spider-Man games, and the, the, no way the home, Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse. And No Way Home, and yeah. all of these things, for, for people to come out and be like, oh, I'm just not getting my Spider-Man, I don't know what to tell you. You know, like, we no longer live in a time where you can't get the kind of version of a character that you're looking for. And granted, that doesn't mean you have to like everything. I know people, the the current run of Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man comic books, I know that's not sitting well with a lot of people. And, you know, maybe you don't have to like the MCU or, or whatever, but there's such a wide variety of Spider-Man stuff and a huge backlog of Spider-Man stuff as well. The hunger, the need for this version of Spider-Man isn't, what it used to be you know like if this was 2017 and spider-man homecoming was the only spider-man we had that's a bit more understandable because it's like this is it this is your spider-man take it or leave it we don't live in that age anymore no i get mad hearing that people like i'm not getting my spider-man and it's like how fucking greedy are you i mean like there's so much (laughs) spider-man out there like, what are you yeah. not getting? If you're not getting your fix at all, then maybe you just, like, one very particular type of version of the character. So I feel that with a lot of different things. Like, people who only want the Snyder version of DC characters. And, like, there's a lot of that out there. And then, you know, I sit here as, like, an X-Men fan. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. It must be terrible not getting your character ever. Um, so... It's true. It's true. Um, so I guess that's a good segue into the sort of fan making culture that used to exist, because there was definitely a time where fan films and fan trailers really were super abundant. And, you know, obviously they still exist to a degree now, you know, like they, they are still out there, mm-hmm. but 
it certainly doesn't feel like there's a whole culture behind making these these fantastical sort of what if crossovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that does stem from the fact that we didn't have it yet. You know, when you think of a time before every Marvel character was around, you know, and it was like, okay, we're going to make a crossover of Marvel stuff. What do I have? And you literally just have, you know, the, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Ang Lee's Hulk, <laughs> and the X-Men. And then you're like, oh, like I guess Daredevil. I'll put Daredevil in there yeah. and Ghost Rider. And, Blade. Like, you had a, uh, yeah, Blade. You have a limited... <laughs> the famous Avenger system. Blade. Yeah. yeah, and Nick Fury. Like... <laughs> There was a time where we didn't have everything, and so fans really cobbled together, you know, throwing a little Ultimate Alliance cutscene mm. or, or whatever, um, and that's how you got these sort of creations. So obviously, you were in the thick of it. When did when did yeah. you start making like fan trailers? What was what was your sort of entry point? I think in two thousand and nine is when I first started doing it. So I was a teenager, and yeah, um, I enjoyed watching a lot of fan trailers again like crossover stuff you know one of the early ones i remember liking the most was silver lightsaber i I don't think his channel is called that anymore but he used to make you know batman versus the crow or you know like batman versus iron man and things like that and i just found those really well done editing wise and i thought you know i could maybe have a knack for that and i think i did um but it it became hard to continue to make stuff because like you said in the age of you know spider-man no way home and avengers endgame it's like how special could these things be i mean besides like a marvel and dc crossover we've pretty much gotten everything crossover wise that would be interesting i guess the x-men aren't in the mcu yet so there's that as well but otherwise you know even though those things haven't been done in you know, real movies, I feel like all the good ideas have been taken editing wise, like fan editing wise. So it became kind of hard to continue doing that stuff. And the last trailer I did, like I'm happy with, but you know, it's, it's good. But again, I'm like, I'm out of ideas and I'm out of the passion for doing it now. So it's not really something I I see myself continuing doing, which sometimes makes people sad because it's how they discovered my channel and things like that way back when. (laughs) Um, But it's, yeah, I mean, I I had fun doing it, you know, when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, but uh, especially when I was a teenager, I, I slowed down when I was in my 20s, but making Marvel and DC crossovers and X-Men versus whoever, like that stuff was really fun. And, um, and or, you know, making trailers for, like, this is what I would make a Batman movie to look like or a Superman movie or... Right, right. Yeah, there were a lot at the time that I found were really creative, um, like outside of what I was doing. Uh, some of those people still make stuff and some of them will come back like once every five years or something like that and make something. I guess when you have an idea, it's, you know, you put it out there and see if people like it. Um, but it's definitely something that's really died down. Whereas in the uh, late 2000s and especially the early 2010s, that stuff was really popular. But after the MCU blew up, I, th- I think it died down a lot. Yeah, well, once you've gotten multiple versions of the same Justice League movie, what is there to make it a Justice League <laughs> trailer? You know, like, we, we've we've got it. And when you've got, like, a Justice League going on in movies and a Justice League going on in uh, on the CW, you know, like, 
yeah, again, like people would cross those things over a lot. And some of the ideas and some of the editing was very good, but it's like the same thing over and over again. Yeah, well, I mean, I think of one of the last things you ever did in terms of big crossovers was your your Marvel trailer, um, mm-hmm. which featured like the Silver Surfer and it was yeah. the MCU cast. But you also crossed over the Fox sort of stuff because like that's all there really was left to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Was to put Reed Richards and and uh, Charles Xavier <laughs> and Steve <laughs> Rogers in a room together. Yeah. And so it's like, OK, this is all there really is. But now with films like Doctor Strange, right? It's been done. There's mm-hmm. just there's not a whole lot to do on that level. And granted, that it has caused some people who do still like have those sparks and want to kind of dig into it, create something as as uh as sort of unique as they possibly can. Obviously we would be remiss if we didn't mention our friend Frank, Chief Brody Rules, uh someone who's been in the editing game for a very long time, mm-hmm. making a lot of different kind of stuff. And, you know, a lot of stuff that's always worked about his is that he makes very specific movie concepts. Like, they just scream, oh, I have an idea for this specific thing, and that's it. And it's digging into a whole lexicon of, of different films and mm-hmm. different reference points and, and all those kind of uh, things to the point where he was still making big sort of spectacle stuff. You know, like, he, he made several Batman different trailers or is is dc universe and all that so it's like it still fits into the realm of what we're talking about but it is editors like that where it's like you have to have a very specific idea you know solenbrack yes that's somebody who exists from that time period and even to this day is still making trailers where it's like all right he clearly had an idea of like let's let's try to work this together and he's one of the very few that's still out there that doesn't feel like you know, just hopping onto a trend mm-hmm. and just making mashup stuff, yeah, um, which is which is great. I, I'm glad that there's at least some people trying to keep that spirit alive in a way. Yeah, I mean, Frank Chief Brody rules. It, you know, doesn't limit himself to just making superhero stuff, which is you know really good. Though I I really like his his DC stuff that he's made. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, like his Grand Theft Auto trailer and and uh, that one uh, reset. Um, like the the Bruce Willis in the DeLorean like trailer, I think that's really neat. Yeah, and again, yeah, a, a whole made up movie that yeah. he just put together. It's and great. S- some of these are like concept trailers, so it's like I'd like to see that. You show a trailer like that to you know someone with money, and you might get to fund something like that. Like that's a really cool idea. I don't think Frank has those intentions, but it's a cool idea. And it's a borderline sizzle reel, exactly you know, that like actual directors do, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, so I liked making stuff like that at certain points as well, um, but it's oh yeah, yeah. But what kind of bothers me now is, like you said, a, there are channels today that still make fan trailers, but they're clearly ripping off other people's ideas. I've had my stuff ripped off tons of times, so it's like you know, path of the course. <laughs> it happens. Um, you know, we're in an era where you can, you know, repost TikToks and Instagram reels and things like that. And no one bats an eye because it's just normal um, until someone points it out and you go, oh, yeah, that is wrong, isn't it? That we steal other people's stuff. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. Sometimes I'll get messages where it's like this person is just straight up ripped off this Batman trailer that you made. And it's like I could leave a snarky comment on the video or I could send the person a message. And, and now I don't really care. Um, but it is annoying when you see that, and especially when you're not credited for it. 
but they'll just rip off your own trailer and then put some other footage in different parts of it so it makes it different enough. And uh, right. And then, but a lot of these tr- uh, channels that do that will make really convincing thumb- looking thumbnails and uh, they'll also upload real trailers on their channel. So it makes it look like it's a real thing because people are subscribed to get real trailers for existing movies. Someone who isn't as in the know about films as we are, you know, will go like, oh, did you see that trailer for Tom Hardy as James Bond? You know, and like things like that. (laughs) And they don't differentiate, you know, from one another. And they're just, you know, ripping off other people's work anyway. And the trailers don't even look that good. But yeah, so that's really annoying. I hate that. These channels that upload real movie trailers and fan-made trailers and just try and fool people. And, you know, then they get millions of views and they, you know, get revenue from it. I hate that. It It is a real shame because I, I do appreciate the sort of artistry that comes with making unique things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always appreciated, uh, going back to Frank, his sort of mystery box trailer that's like like a made-up behind-the-scenes featurette mm-hmm. for his Godzilla film, which, like, the trailer is quite good. I have no attachment to his trailer. Like, I think the trailer's it is, you know quality like his other stuff but when i think of that i think of the 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 mystery box sort of like Mm -hmm. (laughs) pitch video of of him switching together sort of interviews with actors and creating almost this this fictitious uh like a promotion which is really cool obviously some of the stuff that's always stuck out from from your work and it was a lot more common back in the day was these sort of long campaigns right Mm -hmm. with trailers and, and tv spots and i mean one of the the cooler things you had done for uh, did you do it for both Iron Patriot and Batman versus Green Arrow, the DVD venues? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that stuff is great. Like <laughs> the fact that you went out and you you literally like cre- recreated the experience, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's something that a, a lot of people that would that's honestly what the the go to should be. You know, with people today with how strong nostalgia is, the amount of accounts that are just posting nostalgic things and mm-hmm. commercials and. And just flat out experiences. You know how many times I see accounts just post a picture of like a classroom for the early 2000s? And all the quotes are like, oh my god. <laughs> Creating those experiences, the yeah. idea of a, of a fucking DVD menu, special features, that doesn't exist anymore. No. That is that is almost like an artistry in itself. So like the fact that you were creating stuff like that at the time, I thought was great. You know, like showing like an ad for the DVD that shows like bloopers and special features <laughs> and commentary. And it's like, oh my god. It's like an actual... It makes it real. It feels real. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, that stuff was fun because it felt uh, different. Like, there weren't people making stuff like that. So, yeah, it was like, I could probably do something like this. And then if it works and people like it, then great. Um, But, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was was good stuff. Um, In terms of, uh, I guess, other fan trailers out there, are there ones that stick out to you to this day? Yeah, well, I know one that you and I are fans of, and again, there are multiple uh, versions of this, but um, there was a fan editor, or there is a fan editor, uh, named The Man Batman, because, you know, you could get names like that, account names on YouTube way back when. (laughs) Um, And, uh, uh, yeah, The Batman Complex, this, uh, this series of trailers where it's Bruce Wayne, who isn't really batman it's something that he's made up in his head and it's using footage of christian bale from a lot of different movies but mostly obviously the batman movies but uh um uh uh, the machinist where he's Mm -hmm. you know as skinny as anything and uh 
can't sleep. And uh, it also incorporates Inception in terms of going into his mind where he's Batman. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I those are really, really neat and great ideas and would be a fascinating movie as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, not necessarily like everyone's perfect interpretation of Batman, but just an interesting, different movie. At least conceptually, it seems that way. But yeah, the trailers are really well edited, incorporate a lot of different stuff. You know, DiCaprio in, uh, not just in Inception, but in uh, The Revenant and Shutter Island and, and things like that. So yeah, it's got really neat tone, um, great editing, great music choices. I love those trailers a lot. Those are really neat. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. They're they're what I think of when I think of creative sort of fan trailers that's uh, creating an, a concept that you get from the trailer alone. You know, you get the idea that if this was shown, people would understand the the gimmick of it all, uh, which is which is great. You know, I think that's what a, a lot of these best sort of fan trailers that break out of it. Um, you know, you had mentioned Frank's GTA trailer, you know, something like that. Uh, his sort of parody stuff, like the Winter Soldier vhs trailer mm, stuff yeah. is, is these kind of trailers where it's like you get it you get it it doesn't have to just be what if the hulk fought superman it it goes beyond it to where it's like oh i think i can tell the story basically like i can i can surmise somewhere in there what this concept is and yeah inception but it's batman mm-hmm. is this idea of the batman complex to the point where you know recently they had done a, a trailer for you know, the Batman complex too, mm-hmm. which brought in the sort of patents in Batman. I think they'd used heart shaped box as the yes. song in the, in the trailer. And once again, it's, it's taking all these little things and it's, it's just like the, the original. Um, but it, it, it brings it into a new way that's like fun and unique. And it isn't just your standard sort of fan trailer. It feels like it, it has an idea. Um, it, it actually feels like there's a spark in there and not trying to meet a quota. And I do sort of feel like, sadly, they did sort of reach that, especially in that sort of mid-2000s era as things started blowing up. It did sort of have a feeling of, all right, well, can I make them the next thing that'll get shared upon, like, all these news sites? Because mm. uh, I'm seeing it a lot, like, right now, you know, with it being so slow because of the strikes and everything, you go on places like Comic Book Movie, and they're sharing, like fan edits of you know <laughs> what this is what it would look like if some if if the batman had the, the white eyes and it's like that's an article that they yeah. had to make because news is so slow but it, there there definitely was a time where it's like oh man can i make a, a really satisfying avengers versus x-men trailer or whatever and you know uh, a a uh, doomsday clock sort of dc versus watchman trailer can i make mm. it big enough that people will share that on all these pop culture news sites like it it had that feel there for a bit which made it lose its charm because it's not you know and i i hate to be like oh it's completely soulless like i'm i'm sure people worked on these things and you know i know what it's like to toil away behind a timeline in final cut or sony mm. vegas or whatever um but it does have that feeling of like oh this is going to be big <laughs> There's a lot of that at a point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, especially when you see work get shared and get really popular for, and you can tell they haven't put in the same amount of effort as what you were trying to put in. Like that can be very deflating as well. So it was a different time. Um, Hollywood I guess, ruined it, but you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they made everything real. You know, yeah. it was 
it's, there's nothing to fantasize about anymore. You kind of have to to look elsewhere. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe not. But mm-hmm. you know, arguably, the same thing can be said about fan films in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, along with fan edits, there's tons of different sort of films and things that people make. And you know, um, I really do struggle to kind of think of a lot of really good ones. And I, I think that the the best ones are kind of smaller ones mm-hmm. because there was definitely a time where like like bat in the sun yeah sort of ruled the fan sphere in terms of fan creations you know i think of um uh what is the film city of scars is that mm-hmm. the batman film were like that city at the time of scars. yeah <laughs> it was like you know that was the comic book or animated batman brought into a world especially in a time where we were having the nolan films and it, it felt like a version of Batman that fans wanted. It was mm-hmm. still dark. It was still serious, but it had a guy in a big gray spandex suit, a guy from the 2003 Daredevil movie. So, like, what, <laughs> what more could you ask for? Kevin Porter, is that his name? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like he was Batman in a lot of those things. He did a good uh, Conroy-style voice, and he looked like a um, like an Alex Ross Bruce Wayne. Like, he was he had the, the big chin and everything and like yeah he, he was a... he was our first beefy batman before affleck yes you know, that was our our big comic book like he's at alex ross that's a very good mm-hmm. comparison to it yeah um but yeah the bat and the sun stuff like they would make good films and uh you know filmmaking in it was good you know it, it you know it wasn't embarrassing or anything like that like they, they were good filmmakers for what they were making um and then they got into kind of what you were talking about with, you know, what will get the clicks, you know, and they started making like those superhero battle videos where super powered beatdowns. I think was what they that were was it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> where they're like, okay, two characters from fiction, you know, that would have never crossed over before in like in real like a studio thing or a comic book or whatever. And, um, although I guess they broke that sometimes, but yeah. And like, you know, what would the battle look like? And people would vote for who would win. But yeah, so they did stuff like Gandalf versus Darth Vader and, and Superman versus Thor and Batman versus Wolverine. And it's like, okay, those are, those are kind of interesting. And then it was like Nightwing versus Gambit. And it's like, well, I don't know if I've ever really thought about that fight, but okay, sure. They're kind of on a similar level. And then... (laughs) Darth Vader versus Batman. And it's like, I, I've i never once in my life thought about what would happen if Darth Vader fought Batman. Like, what? <laughs> and so, yeah. No, no, but it still was very, very big for the longest time. Yeah. Um, I remember the release of Master Chief versus Captain America. They had right. done a cross promotion with, I believe, Machinima at yeah. the time which is you know you got to bring this into context um and so they aired it on there but captain america won and so like the dislikes were huge mm-hmm. because you aired it to a mainly video game oriented audience and captain america you know beat master chief in it and so people were like no uh this is bullshit you know because obviously uh versus battles are just so big on the internet mm-hmm. there's um death battle is another like famous one that's a bit more animation based mm-hmm. uh, but like people they did a, a complete sidetrack but like they did a death battle that was like ben 10 versus green lantern and i think green lantern won in it and like to this day ben 10 fans are like salty about it so like <laughs> this stuff 
really sticks with people. Um, obviously, we, we, would, we would have to mention the Nightwing versus Winter Soldier uh, uh, video. Sure. Which uh, famously featured a, 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 a very comic-accurate Bucky Barnes that, that I would say. Maybe, Played by Johnny you know. TV. Yeah, <laughs> played by uh, Johnny Nickname himself. Yes. Uh, so that was that was really great. John Morrison, who could probably do more flips than Bucky Barnes, so I'll give him that, honestly. But sure. But yeah, he's th- got that going for him. That was one where I was like, oh, the two sidekicks who grew up and, and had different personas. Like, that one makes sense, you know? And then I think, uh, doesn't Nightwing straight up murder him by, like, kicking his head off? Um... <laughs> I think he murders him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it got really... They they got really big. I remember, um, even on, in recent history, that has become almost influential to the actual canon. Was like their stuff with Power Rangers. They had done. Um, I can't remember what it was, but they had gotten JDF involved in yeah. some verses, and like they made a, a, a suit that like people still wear to this day. That's like a it's a specific Bat in the Sun style suit mm-hmm. that I personally think is quite ugly, but. It really caught on with people, you know, sure. like it became like this big ordeal. And then they did a Street Fighter crossover thing that like now the, they have they have action figures, you know, from like stuff that they helped create. Like these people that made Batman fan films and, you know, the the, the main guy who clearly just loves being Nightwing. Uh, <laughs> like they're they're out here making this stuff and now they're like influencing like actual you know media in a yeah. way which is wild to me obviously they were involved with the the uh the jdf film um i forget what it was legend of the white dragon i think is what it was my apologies i didn't really follow that too closely it didn't really look like something i was necessarily interested in obviously that was a film that got backed and from what I understand, was finished before the sad uh, passing of Jason mm. David Frank. So, like, they, you know, they, once again, these are people that made versus videos and, you know, just people with, with good cameras and good costumes <laughs> making these small projects that are making these huge, huge things after years and years of, of still continuing to to do it, which is, you know, in, in a way, wild. Um, but... It does go to show that I would say most people probably recognize their stuff purely for the the action factor, more so than the stories. I remember they had done a Batman film in like recent history, right? Like around twenty nineteen or something, or twenty twenty. Oh or... gosh! Oh yeah, they did. That's right. Um, and we had watched it. Yeah, and we got nothing from it. No, personally. <laughs> it it looked okay, and this kind of goes for this goes for that Spider Man Lotus thing as well, like. Visual effects or like special effects, CGI in these fan films, I'm not that critical on because I mean, look at how the Flash and Thor: Love and Thunder look and things like that. I mean, like, you know, so if it's not perfect, but it's it's it doesn't look too bad, then I'm totally fine with it. It's when it's kind of embarrassing that you've spent money on something that doesn't look good that that can be sad. Yeah, but yeah, they're I, not doing Clayface, right? Like, right. They, yes. they know their limits. They, they yeah, they work within their means and. Um, so like, you know, you've got actors standing in front of green screen, you know, to, to make it look like they're standing on a rooftop in Gotham city. And, you know, it's a little obvious, but whatever, but they got notable actors to be in it. Like, uh, Michael Madsen, I think plays Bullock. 
oh my god i forgot about that part yeah like you and i were watching it and i was like what the fuck michael madsen and you went that's not michael madsen (laughs) because it was unbelievable that he would be in a bat in the sun film but um and then uh chris daltrey the uh the rock singer played uh hugo strange it was yeah that was a that was an interesting one (laughs) I don't know what to make it of that It was strange. Movie. It was it was very very weird, but it did have that feeling of like, oh, you know, we're still we're still doing, doing this, this, huh? Yeah. Cuz cuz the the ones that have always stuck out to me are like either like a spectacle in which at a time they could never have come out, mm-hmm. you know? Like uh, Batman versus the Predator in a time in which there was nothing like that happening or there's more smaller ones. Um there's that there's the it's like a, a duo film, right? Uh, featuring the Riddler, and like oh, yeah. both of the films are featuring just like just talking. Mm-hmm. Like the first one is is like uh, uh she's like they're not in costumes, they're just people. But it's like Helena Bertinelli, Huntress, mm-hmm. tied up, and like it's just her going at it with like the Riddler, Edward Nigma, and then they did a follow up with it, and it was like it took place at like a party at like Wayne Manor, and it, once again it's a verbal thing between Bruce Wayne and and Edward Nigma, and, like, it's so simple and so mm-hmm. well acted that, like, that's all you need. And, like, when I think of good fan films, it's stuff like that that I think of where it's like, okay, they did what they what all these other people were trying to do, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, man, we can't do a big superhero thing. Let's try to be a bit more introspective with it and play, like you said, within our means. And, like, those are really good. But, like, the Batman movie you just described, or we talked about, you know, the that one... Um, I think that was just like a Batman talks to the Joker kind of movie. Yeah. But it didn't have that same click to it. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't manage to capture that sort of like, oh, wow, this is like really well done for what it is. It felt a little too grandiose and heady and trying to be, you know, like this, that kind of film, which is the problems that stuff like the Spider-Man movie fall into where it's clearly going for an emotional resonance of, okay, we're going for a deeper thought provoking message. But then you listen to what people are saying and you're like, this is nothing. Yeah. Like what, what are you doing? <laughs> like a, a fan series that I liked way back when was the Joker blogs. Yes. Joker blogs. Let's talk Joker. Blogs. Let's talk Joker blogs. Um, so after the dark Knight came out, you know, every man and his dog, you know, dressed up or whatever as as Heath Ledger Joker at some point. But, uh, and everyone had a, a Joker impression, but one that was very good. Um, and, and wasn't even trying to be an impression. It was just basically trying to, you know, just continue that type of performance. Um, but yeah, it was uh, this guy, Scott McClaw, who put together this thing, the Joker blogs, where it was Joker being interviewed in Arkham Asylum after the events of The Dark Knight by Dr. Harleen Quinzel. And uh, there, these sessions are videoed and, he interacts with you know harleen over and over again and and sometimes you know, there'll be another person there like dr uh hugo strange or uh scarecrow and, and characters like that um and then jeremiah arkham the owner of arkham asylum becomes like a big character in it and he basically joker breaks out and wants to uh interrupt harley's wedding and uh it was very well done it clearly wasn't very expensive to make because it was just people Mm -hmm. sitting in front of a camera in a white room 
And like, I look around my room right now and it's like, damn, I could have made that. Look at my white walls. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's very straightforward. And yeah, um, it was always exciting when a new episode would come out. And then with time, they got a little bit popular and they decided to actually put some money into this. And they started doing a second season or series um, where it was shot more conventionally like a, a regular show or film. And mm-hmm. um, featured a Thomas Elliot was the the big addition in that one. Yes, right? yeah. And the thing that always really worked about it is that these guys were clearly actors who were putting together this stuff. So the filmmaking was good. It was standard. It, you know, there was nothing wrong with it generally. Um, right. But the acting and the writing was great because you had really good actors in the roles. So you could you had actors who could carry on long dialogue scenes. Um, and that's what made it so good. Um, not that necessarily all of the acting in it was great, but like, you know, the main actors were all very good. (laughs) Um, but yeah. And then, you know, like they did, you know, it was fan funded that second season and then they just, they stopped uploading and then they would come back like two years later and say like, sorry for the break. Here's a new episode. And then they'd go away again for another five years and say, we're back and we're going to upload the rest of it. Here's another two. And then they just, they just vanished again. And, uh, yeah, that was really frustrating as a fan. Um, like, you know, I don't know what the circumstances are, so I don't want to get too like, how dare you not give me my content, but it was (laughs) quite frustrating when it was something that was so good and they promised something and then just didn't end up delivering the rest of it. I don't know what happened there, but, uh, I mean, I hope, you know, everyone's okay and, and, you know, things like that. But yeah, I mean, when it was going, that was, it was a lot of fun. That was some good stuff. Yeah, and I think that was another sort of aspect of it. It was, it was, it really was like must tune in kind of entertainment mm-hmm. for for YouTube, and I think it just hits at the right time, uh, especially us when we were younger. You know, I'm thinking it's, 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 uh, that that era of like our high school age mm-hmm. selves, where YouTube was becoming our TV in a way. Like this is where we were tuning into our favorite creators for for new stuff before it became what it is today, where mm-hmm. content is just the name of the game and you know everyone has got these certain things and blah 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 like it felt like we were creating something at the time um and yeah joker blogs i remember i was right there as well you know watching Mm -hmm. those as they came out i thought they were excellent Mm -hmm. um and there was a bunch of that kind of stuff that was really trying to be homemade but it, it did feel like there was a plan behind it um a similar sort of series that uh i, I don't know if you had ever heard of because it's more in the video game realm mm-hmm. but there was a series called uh there will be brawl um which I don't know was this. it was a nintendo fan series in which they took the characters from super smash brothers and they made it into sort of like a gritty noir story mm-hmm. of like crime and drugs and like there definitely is an element like it is funny like it's supposed to be like Mm. the the whole gimmick is that like luigi is our main character (laughs) and he's sort of uh like trying to figure out what's going on in this world Mm -hmm. and like kirby is sort of like our hannibal lecter um (laughs) and like a lot of the villains are sort of representing crime families i guess the most like fun fact about it is that like Matthew Mercer, who's a voice actor, he plays Ganondorf in it. He just recently played Ganondorf in like the the big Legend of Zelda game that just came out on the Nintendo Switch. So, 
good for him. Mm-hmm. But like it was this thing where it was shot in sort of on location and it's all these characters with these homemade costumes and I'll have to show you some stuff afterwards cuz it sure. was it was wild for the time. Like it is something where you have to be in the right mind state cuz it's it's good but also not at the same time because it's what we're describing. Like if sure. you take it seriously and you're like, "All right, this is kind of ridiculous." It's like, "Yeah, it's it is." Like, it is ridiculous. Like, you kind of have to go into it knowing that. But it was this big passion project of these people making this thing where, you know, and and not to say that there isn't huge passion projects today. You know, there's a lot of people out there that make some really creative stuff. Like, the bar keeps getting higher and higher. But it does feel like that because people were just starting to have access to the ability of having editing software and handheld cameras and all these things, people were making things and it was still kind of like new and and shocking and, and all that but it also had that feeling of like well maybe i could do that right you yeah. know like i think if i could grab a camera and i've got this editing like i think i can make one of these things mm-hmm. um which is which is cool and i i don't know like to say that doesn't exist anymore is would be silly because like i said everyone has a phone everyone has you know, even if you just have iMovie or something like mm-hmm. that, those tools are way beyond what Windows Movie Maker was <laughs> sure. years and, and years ago. Yeah. So to say that you can't do it, but it does take a certain special kind of spark that isn't just like, well, what do I make in a fan film? Well, I can never make Superman or Spider-Man or Iron Man or Green Lantern because of the endless amounts of special effects and all these things and blah, blah, blah. I buy a Batman costume mm-hmm. and he fights the Joker or Black Mask or the Red Hood. Eh, I could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I can I can make that into a fan film. Um, and I think that's what it really it uh, it comes down to is like why we see so many of like the same kind of stuff is is it both a good and a bad because anyone can sort of make it. Um, we, we, we should probably mention uh, the countless amounts and the most famous uh, Nightwing series. I was going to say, series. yeah, there are so uh, many Nightwing films and, and, and fan series because, A, he's a character that hasn't been done in live action, or at least as Nightwing um, at the time. Yeah, before now. Before you know, like Titans. Obviously Titans and yeah. stuff. Um, so he was a very popular character in comics, so he was a popular character to, you know, people wanted to see. Um, and also because he's a guy in a suit who's, you know, street level. So it didn't require a lot of effects and things like that. And some series did decent jobs by having guys who could put together good fight sequences, for example. Yeah. So some of that stuff looked okay. Um, I don't know if I like any of the costumes I've seen for Nightwing. Um, I don't even know if I like the Titans one that much. But, um, like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's funny that it seems like such a simple costume. But, uh I, I yeah, got, pe- a lot of people don't want to wear like a, a, a Spider-Man style, you know, like spandex onesie. Um, they think it should be something a lot more tactical than that, and uh, and then a lot yeah. of the tactical ones I've seen just don't look like it fits Nightwing either. So it's kind of a funny, uh, what do you do, type situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously because he's often tied with it. Destro comes into the same problem. Yeah. Um, I've always been someone who it's like, eh, it feels weird if he's wearing like Spartan Halo armor. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. how do you, how does he jump around and do all this stuff? And same thing with Nightwing. It's like this dude's an acrobat. Mm-hmm. Like he specifically doesn't have a cape. 
So, like, why would he weigh himself down with all this sort of body armor and, yeah. and, and, and all that kind of stuff? Um, I guess the most popular Nightwing series is probably the Ismahawk yes uh one yeah which uh has like a really nice standard sort of straightforward deathstroke kills a room full of people mm-hmm. first episode yeah and, you know like it's not necessarily bad it's 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 quite well made for what it is but of course then you get into the same problem you have stuff with like spider-man where it's like oh the character's got to be funny and it's like well I, you better get a good writer yeah. you know and an actor with charisma <laughs> charisma and, you know, all yes. those all those things where it's like, ah, it's, it's a tough, you know, it's a tough rope to walk, no pun intended, in mm-hmm. regards to Nightwing. It is it is very, very difficult. And that's kind of the thing where it's like, I don't want to spend too much time bashing all these different no. projects and being like, all these people have terrible actors and terrible writers and blah, blah, blah. It is quite difficult. It is just that it seems, especially with these ground level superheroes specifically, especially the Batman universe, people get attracted to doing that without having... Any kind of clear understanding past that. Like you said, with the Joker blogs, it was great because it was it felt like a bunch of young people that were like the best of their improv classes. Sure. You know, like yeah. they they came from some sort of acting troupe or comedy group or whatever that allowed them to actually be actors first. Yes. And then do something in the Nolan Batman world. Yeah, like I remember when I lived in LA, I like was at a cafe once and the guy that played arkham like walked in and i was like holy shit it's the guy from the joker blogs and like i didn't go up to him because that would be weird i'm like i i love you in this youtube series uh but that just felt strange <laughs> you play the batman character Amadeus Arkham. <laughs> um yeah so uh, those guys yeah uh, were like actors first i guess and uh and a lot of other cases it's people who are fans first and not filmmakers or maybe yeah so it's a, it's kind of a funny a good example of all of this that we're talking about because i often think with with some of these stuff with like the bat and the sun guys or some of that it's like how come they're still doing this all this time later why haven't they moved on to getting hired by warner brothers or whoever to make something and a good example is uh there's a movie that came out this year called talk to me it's an australian horror film released by a24 and the guys who made it had a YouTube channel, um, or still do have a YouTube channel, where they would make these fight scene, uh, like funny fight scene videos. And I mean, it was clear that they had a good sense of how to shoot action and gore. And they had, you know, someone who did makeup pretty good in their... Uh, um you know on their crew or whatever and they would make these films and now they've made a real movie that's now critically acclaimed and people you know have talked really highly of it's a very good movie but um yeah michael and danny philippou i can't think of what their channel was called racka racka was what it was called um Mm, so yeah if you you look that up i mean not all of their stuff is for me uh their sense of humor but uh yeah they used to make some some quality looking stuff and now they've actually made a movie so yeah it's funny that some of these things some of these films or, sh- or series that do get an audience and go viral a little bit uh the studios don't then jump onto this and and hire some of these people yeah yeah i mean there's 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 a clear sort of like for some of them they just want to make these characters they just want to make things in the world of marvel or dc or sure you know, we didn't even talk about because obviously there's other stuff beyond superheroes, but it's all the kind of same things. Like 
the Star Wars, right? Like, yeah. there's so much Star Wars stuff out there. There's the Darth Maul fan film that's really popular. There's uh, there's that whole Vader like series, and and like some of that stuff really really emblem is emblematic of the problems that we're <clears throat> talking about, where it yeah. is just like utter fan service stuff. It's like it's it's sometimes the only good stuff that you can make is like parody stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think of like what's a good Star Wars fan thing? It's like, uh, well that 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 one parody of cops where it's the stormtroopers, you know, like <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of. Chad Vader. <laughs> Chad Vader. Yeah, that's 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 who I'm talking about. Chad Vader. That um, takes you back to like 2006 YouTube. Um, yeah, like Jesus Christ. what if Darth Vader's brother <laughs> was the manager <laughs> of a supermarket? Um, you know, it's like I, I don't I don't know if that holds up. I don't know if that stuff is still good today or if it was just like funny to watch back when YouTube was new. So it was like a new form of entertainment kind of. Um Right. But I think the guy who played Chad Vader voiced him, then got to do like Darth Vader voices in like officially for Lucasfilm at some point, so God rest his soul. So yeah, it's just it there's there's an interesting sort of world of there's clearly fan stuff that's still made, but it does sort of have like a little bit of a tinge of it. And I guess this, this circles back to the movies that we're talking about. It has a tinge of having a chip on its shoulder rather than filling a void of like, Oh man, like we're legitimately like not getting this. And I have an idea. I have a concept for something that could be really, really cool. We got to get these people together and make a movie. Now it does feel a little bit more angry in terms of we're not getting what we want. We have to make it ourselves. And I don't know if that's the right choice to make. I mean, clearly it's not in terms of these movies. If it, if we're talking about the movies that we watched, that is not the way to go about it. And, I th- yeah, I think that goes for a lot of these Star Wars and other superhero-themed fan projects. Because, you know, if you're, if you're going back um, a trailer that's, like, super, super old, this was, like, predates YouTube, mm-hmm. there was a fan trailer called Grayson. That was yeah. like a fan trailer for a fake movie. It wasn't a real movie, but it was like a fan project. And it was just an idea of like, there's this, it's it's like Batman's been killed. Dick Grayson comes out of retirement to solve his murder kind of thing. Um, and it's called Grayson. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be like an adult Robin kind of film. And, and, and like they made it as a sort of concept. It was just making a trailer for a fake movie. And that's that's all it was. They weren't mm-hmm. trying to make a statement about anything. I think looking into it, they had talked about how like, yeah, we did Robin because like if you had called it Nightwing, no one would know what that means. Yeah. But if you call it Grayson and have him in a Robin costume, people get that he's adult Robin. Mm-hmm. So it's like they had done decisions like that where it's like, okay, we're going to make a cool – trailer out of that and like that's an idea and we're gonna do all this it wasn't adapting something it wasn't like we need robin content like we're Mm. (laughs) this is the filled void that the evil warner brothers won't give us it was just people come together with an idea and i think that's that's really it moving forward you gotta have a firm sort of actual creative acorn and not like this sort of angry i gotta fix the wrongs of of big studios. I think that's yeah. just not the way to go. That's the, these are the ones that we remember. These are the yeah. ones that stuck out to us, whether it's fan trailers, fan films, whatever animation, even, you know, it, it, that's what sticks, not this angry. So, cause then that just gets clowned on, you know, people <laughs> just make fun of it. And then it's like, Oh, well that's kind of a shame. 
you know? And then everyone oh, rates oh, well. it half a star on Letterboxd and uh, it continuously gets taken off of Letterboxd because they're embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, that is quite literally what happens. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I, I did just want to mention really quick, um, with that Grayson uh, fan film, because it's, it's a trailer. Like, they made a film that was a, a trailer, uh, which is yeah. super unique, I think. Um, and other people have made stuff like that since then. But, yeah, it was basically, let's make a concept of what this movie could look like. So we're just making a trailer. And uh, they released their making of videos a long time ago. And it was the kind of thing that made me go, oh, wow, some of this stuff is so simple. You know, like, to make it look like they're firing a gun, like a, um, uh, I don't know guns, but like a, a gun that goes off multiple times, like a BB <laughs> gun, a Tommy gun. Um, you know, you do the close-up on the, the actor, and then you have a strobe light go off. And it's like, ah, oh, I never would have thought of that. Like, that, it's so simple once you know, but that's, like, really creative. And uh, It's real down-to-earth guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, all right, let's film when everybody's off. Yep. And we'll use what we have around the, the house and the, the garage, mm-hmm. and we'll go out to this location, film real quick, and leave, like... It, it is it is the pinnacle of stuff like that. Yeah. It is. And you're right. When you're young and you're watching that, you're like, oh, my God. Like, that's it's inspiring. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I could do it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like, you know, when Chris Nolan made Following, his first movie, which, again, was like making several short films a weekend for like a year. And it's like, well, we, you know, we can't have a gun and like we don't want a fake gun. So the weapon that the character will use is a hammer. We have access to that. And it's like, you learn stuff like that. And it's like, okay, some of this stuff is really, you can make it, you know, you can make this stuff yourself. Um, yeah. You know, the things that you would then have to spend money on besides like paying, you know, actors and crew and things like that is like good equipment, like camera and sound equipment. Um, like that Grayson film, I'm pretty sure they recorded all of the lines in post later, but because it's a trailer, it gets away with it. Um, yeah. But, you know, like there, there have been other good, like short films like uh that punisher dirty laundry film um that thomas jane kind of made as a uh, a bit of a passion project because he never got to make a sequel yeah. to punisher um i mean it i mean truth in journalism is another the, the great venom one, the, one. The venom one yeah which i just spoiled sorry um yeah ryan quantum plays any brock um <laughs> it's called that in the title it is. changed it to get views okay yeah um yeah that's a really good one ryan quantum's a great actor and yeah he, he, that was really good they also made that power rangers one which i know not everybody likes but i think the uh um the quality of it the filmmaking aspect of it is very good and like yeah what if we did an r-rated in the future uh power rangers film and I, I think it's got some merit and for some reason a lot of notable actors are in it so <laughs> that's interesting yeah isn't like casper van dien in it and- uh uh james vanderbeek and yeah, Katie Sackoff. Like, yeah, it's like a lot of notable people. But uh, before, I guess, we finish up, um, I did want yeah. to mention one kind of fan-made thing that's maybe going to become the new trend uh, as we talk about the strike. And, you know, one of the big things they're striking about is, like, AI stuff. Um, um, and that taking the place of actors and writers doing their jobs. Um is uh, I don't know if some of the special effects in these films is AI right, generated. Right. I definitely got that sense with the Superman one because it there are as, there are scenes that you know, fight scenes that just look like Man of Steel, like the Zod and Superman fight. So it's like, do you type into an algorithm or type into a program 
give me Superman fighting Brainiac and then you get something that looks like Man of Steel. I mean, I don't know if that's what they did, but that crossed my mind. <laughs> um, but something that's a, a recent phenomenon is like AI, like ASMR and words of affirmation videos and things like that. Oh, right. And one of my favorite things at the moment is this Batman. It gives you words of encouragement videos. <laughs> And it's AI generated. It's not even a voice actor. Some some of these might have voice actors, you know, in other channels. But this one channel, Clone Talk, is uh, is is AI Batman who sounds like Kevin Conroy, you know, talking to you about like overcoming anxiety, and, and Batman talks to you about loneliness. Uh, uh, Batman encourages you after a relapse. <laughs> Batman talks to you about overcoming your porn addiction. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Like, what? I mean, it's so like I had listened to it. It's like, what could that possibly sound like? And it's because it, I understand the concept, right? Of you need some encouragement. You you know, you want to listen to like a familiar voice, maybe like it's something that would be encouraging. <laughs> is 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 Kevin Conroy's Batman? Like, I understand where that could possibly make sense, but it's not. It, it, it is Batman talking to you. Like, it's the character that's meant to be talking to you about this. Yeah. He'll say, like, I know times are tough. When my parents were killed <laughs> and Alfred looked after me. And it's like, whoa! And it's all delivered in the same very simple way. Because it's an AI voice. Yeah, yeah it's weird. It's, uh, well, yeah. I mean, the whole AI thing, I guess we'll talk about that real, real quick. There was a project recently that was, um, like, a Scooby-Doo fan animation that the animation itself mm. was like a meticulous recreation of like the Rankin Bass like stop motion holiday specials like Rudolph and and mm. Santa Claus is coming to town like it was a painstaking like recreation of that and it was like a Scooby Doo I think Five Nights at Freddy's like mashup or something but obviously right. they were just animators so for the voice acting I think either entirely or partially they used AI voices to match the, the Scooby-Doo stuff. Uh, and this got people really, really upset. Um, and so this is sort of brought into the question of like, what is and isn't okay for usage where it's like, okay, if this person was literally just an animator, they can't af afford voice actors. Is it all right to get across their, their art by shortcutting in this place or this place uh, to the point where like, Gray Delisle, who is obviously a very big voice actor. She's been in cartoons mm -hmm. for years now, and she's been the voice of uh, Daphne for quite some time. Um, like, she had made a post of, like, I'm never going to work with this person, and I'm going to make sure everybody else knows about it, too. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, this person's just a kid doing animation. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what good that's going to do by you complaining to all your voice actor friends. I don't know. Like, that's where it starts to get into, like, weird places of, like, all right, hold on. You know, I don't like the idea of AI replacing any kind of creative sort of choices and things. But if it's if it's used as almost like a like a simple, like, like we, we were just sort of excusing special effects. Like, if, if a special effect or a costume or whatever isn't up to par, but the acting is good, if the writing is good, you know, like, those things can make up for it. It's like, well, if it's an animation... If that's the whole point of it, can you shortcut other places? I don't know. So this will be an interesting mm. sort of thing moving forward is seeing if people decide to use AI. Like, is there a place for it anywhere? Obviously, stuff like Spider-Verse, it's not like it was an AI-generated film, but they do have programs in place to help 
this sort of animation process that they've made. You know, like they've created sort of bots and systems that help their their process without fully replacing the people making it. Um, so it's crazy now that that's what we've come to, right? Like we're here talking about people making Batman fan films and all this stuff too. Like are people who don't have the backing of a studio allowed to use these tools if it's if it just means making a video for the internet? I don't know, you know, like it, I don't think it's a, it's a black and white sort of scenario to discuss. I think it's, it's a, you know, granted, if you're going to be one of those like crypto bro guys that posts a picture and it's like, look what I made. And it's like, you fucking typed in a prompt. That's not the same. (laughs) Like that's a little different. No, but like there's that, uh, that commercial that I think was a real commercial that was shown on television uh, that was like, you know, they typed into an AI program, give me something that looks like the Great Gatsby. And like one of the shots in it is literally looks like the the meme of like Leo holding up the glass with the fireworks going off in the background. Yeah. And it's like, that's not, that, that like that is just a ripoff. Like you can't possibly think like, this is an amazing program. Look what it created for me. When it just creates something you've already seen. Yeah, exactly. Just with a different face. <laughs> like that's not creative. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll we'll see where all that goes, but ultimately, yeah, I, I think it's the the more passion and the more of an actual heart you can have behind this stuff, the better. Otherwise, you're going to get lost in your sort of need to make something that doesn't need to be made, you know? The the, the amount of times that you and I have, have come up with like ideas for things or edits for something and it's like ultimately you don't make it cuz it's just like eh the full idea isn't there. Yeah. You know? We don't make a podcast every time one of us comes up with an idea of what we would do with a Batman or whatever X-Men <laughs> movie like it's unnecessary. Sometimes you can just keep those fun ideas to yourself and call it a day, but if you sure. if you if you can do it, then do it. You know, I guess yeah. ultimately that's that's what's kind of cool. These people made a movie. Hopefully the lessons can be learned and the actors for these the Spider-Man movie or whatever and the, the director and maybe they can learn from whatever they've done with this and take it and make something else. You know, like that's yeah ultimately the goal. Yeah. Is there a mainstream audience that would want to see? Like we were talking about with these super-powered beatdown videos, like, you know, would there be an audience that would pay to see in a cinema Batman versus Darth Maul or whatever? Like, you know, (laughs) is there an audience for that? Um, And it's just a long fight scene movie um, with very little character development. And I think there probably is, uh, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, it is bad. I don't know why I said that. It is bad, but it's also like, there's an audience for everything, I guess is my point. Yeah, sure. Just because it's not for me doesn't mean that there aren't other merits about it that I can't appreciate or, you know. So, yeah, when we're in this... I mean, it feels at times like we're in this very creatively stifling time in movies um, when, you know, we get... So far, like, I've got a list on Letterboxd of uh, where I'm ranking the comic book movies that come out in the 2020s. And the list is already up to 24 movies. Yeah, Jesus. That's and a lot. that's not counting all of the DC animated stuff. You know, <laughs> I've, I've only got the two long Halloween films on there. But, you know, there are so many animated Batman films. But, like, I've seen all the live action ones. Yeah. 
um, besides Blue Beetle, because it hasn't come out here yet. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't need to go into that. <laughs> A- anything else to discuss, Anthony? No, let's wrap it up. <laughs> Anthony, where can people find you online? You can find me at Anthony Lantern on Instagram, uh, X, and uh, Letterboxd as well. You can also find me at Anthony Reviews. We're Anthony Reviews on YouTube. Uh, you can find me at Kirk Beatty on Letterboxd only now. You know, that Superman Solar film had an actor named Jimmy Olsen, but he did not play Jimmy Olsen. That was fucking weird. Yeah, the actor's name was Jimmy Olsen. What a missed opportunity. Yeah. Could have been Jimmy Olsen as himself. It could have been. 